My wife, Tina, and I regularly have the blessing and privilege of caring for our youngest grandson. His name is Atlas, and I have to admit that I am quite biased in saying that he is a really cute and friendly and lovable, curious, rather precocious two-and-a-half-year-old who absolutely adores his grandpa and Oma. He loves to come over to our place where where he sometimes helps Oma make cookies. He plays with his toys, especially his trucks and his tractors. He interesting, Tina, Tina read to him, Old MacDonald had a farm book quite often, and for some reason he calls tractors EOs. No, Alice, it's a tractor. EO. Okay, he's got his own language. He helps harvest the garden produce in season, which generally means he's going to eat all the raspberries he can pick and stuff into his mouth. And he does get a little spoiled from time to time. But as little Alice is growing, he is developing some attitude. When told he has to put away some of his toys or do something he doesn't want to do, he, 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 will, he will stand there as, as rigid as a fence post, arms across, across his chest, and he'll pout and he'll stare down at the floor. And Grandpa will sometimes adopt the same posture just look at him. And little Atlas will glare at me with that, I dare you to make me look. Yeah, that attitude is coming. It's developing. Observing this little guy reminds us that it's already apparent that he struggles with what we call obedience. Why is it? Why is it that a little kid, you know, like he's only this, this, this tall, why is that a little kid like that already at a young age struggles and finds it hard to obey simple commands and, and, and instruction? And furthering that question, why is it that, that older kids and, and teenagers and adults who, who even profess to love the Lord Jesus and have committed to follow Him in and through life why do we also sometimes, it's so hard to obey and follow God's instructions and commands? Well, God's people know the answer. Ever since our first parents, Adam and Eve, who were created with the ability and the will to freely choose between right and wrong without any coercion from God to act only one way over the other, ever since they chose to follow Satan's temptation advice to take eat that fruit that God had told them was off limits, ever since that first act of human disobedience, human beings have been rendered completely unable to freely choose good over evil. In fact, as the Bible teaches, the impact of sin on human beings means we and our, our fallen in sin nature will always follow the path of disobedience unless God changes our hearts and leads us by His Spirit on what Psalm 23.3 calls the right paths. You know, biblical history reveals that it, it didn't really take all that long for following the ways of disobedience to become the way of people. Genesis 6 verse 5 says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and He saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Well, that's quite a harsh indictment. Everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So we know what happened next. 
God cleansed the earth using the great flood. And only Noah and his family and the animals and creatures God saved by means of that ark ship that Noah built survived. With, with whom God then restarted things. But that sinful human nature produced by Adam and Eve's rebellion and their disobedience, well, it remains part and parcel of who human beings are. And that produces all sorts of negative and tragic consequences impacting creation. In Romans, the Apostle even says, the whole creation groans like a woman in, in labor. It's a pretty graphic picture of, of how sin is negatively impacting creation. But as we go through the Bible, we learn that, that God, who is gracious and full of love and mercy, eventually brought Jesus into our world to begin the process of setting things right again. It didn't happen all at once. But he began that process of turning things around and setting things right again. And, and, and through Jesus, things have changed. And God's people were given the status of holiness and the ability to live obediently again. And, and even when we stumble and we fall in sin, God picks us up. He brushes us off. He assures us that we are forgiven because of what Jesus has accomplished for us through the cross of Calvary. And as we faithfully follow Him, our obedience in following God's way brings God's blessings into our world. Now, when I was last here on September 10, I mentioned that I've been working on a group of sermons inspired by God's statements in Leviticus 11.44, which is repeated in 1 Peter 1.16, where God is calling out to His people and He says, be holy, because I am holy. You, my people, be holy. Be holy. We hear that and we probably think, okay, but how? How do we go about being holy? Well, God's Word reveals several what I call principles of holiness that God's people are called and challenged to embody as we, we live into being holy people. See, that's what it means. We live into that. Back in September, I pointed out that one of those principles is living gratefully. And another one, one that naturally flows out of gratitude, is living obediently. And when we think about that, it makes perfect sense. People who are saved from great distress or certain destruction will be grateful to whoever saved them. And if that Savior says, now follow me like Jesus does, then grateful recipients of His salvation will respond by seeking and striving to follow His way as obediently as we can as we go through, through life. And God has given us plenty of instruction about how we are to do that. And that truth is even pointed out in the third part of the Heidelberg Catechism, the section that is entitled, if you remember, Gratitude. Where the role of God's divine law in our lives, as it is revealed to us in the Ten Commandments, gets discussed and, and gets explained. And that reveals to us that gratitude inspires obedience. Obedience builds out of having a grateful heart. Now, 1 Peter 1, 14-16 contains a definitive link between being holy and living obediently. 
Verse 14 in the NIV translation says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. It's a little different than what I read this morning, but basically it's the same thing. That same text in the New Living Translation says, You must live as God's obedient children. It's not an option. He says, you must live as God's obedient children. And he says, don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You see, we live to please God, to live God's way, not to satisfy our own desires. And along the way, God will satisfy a lot of our desires anyway. Then the text says, you know, you didn't know any better back then. Kind of like little kids that we have to teach obedience. They don't know any better. We need to teach them so they learn and they understand and then they realize, yeah, that's, that's a good thing to, to be obedient. But prior to our salvation in practice, we didn't know any better. And much of our world doesn't know any better. Now, inherent in what this text teaches is the reality that in this fallen in sin world, even we who have been saved by and through Jesus' work, we still struggle between our own not yet fully redeemed sinful nature and its impulse is to follow the ways of the world and our status of already being God's redeemed and holy people. There's a tension there between the two. And we have to remember that that, that status of being holy is already ours through being united with Christ and living in Christ as a result of God's saving work completed for us at that cross of Calvary. The place where we received complete forgiveness along with Christ's righteousness and holiness. So believers are holy, and we're called and challenged to reveal that to our world through the way we live our lives, as I've already said, living into our holiness. Therefore, as Peter is instructing us, we most certainly ought to respond to his challenge to live as God's obedient children by putting our hearts and our minds and every effort into into learning God's way. And then living obediently as we follow Jesus, really striving to be holy in all that we do. But that means we really have to try to understand what biblical obedience really is. The teaching Jesus gives us in John 10, 1 through 16, helps us to understand that just a bit better. But before we go there, we need to understand what the Hebrew word that has often been translated in English as obey or obedience actually means. And, and this takes us for a few moments into the nuances of biblical translation. You see, the Hebrew language has no direct word for obey. There is no word that translates exactly as obey, which in English means doing whatever we're told whether we like it or not. The Hebrew word translated as such is the word Shema. And Shema literally means hear. Hear. Which takes us to the text that declares the central affirmation of faith in Old Testament Judaism. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 5, which says, Hear, Shema, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And a, a devout Jewish person memorizes and recites this Shema text plus Leviticus 19, 18's Love your neighbor as yourself several times every day. 
And, and when Jesus was questioned about what the most important commandment is, he recited this text. And everybody who was Jewish listening to him resonated with that because they all know it. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Back in May 2015, Tina and I traveled to the Middle East where with a peer group of pastors and spouses, we spent nearly three weeks exploring parts of Egypt, Jordan, and Israel with Under the Fig Tree Ministries, led by Reverend George DeYoung. And we were guests of Ted and Joanne DeVries of British Columbia who generously provided funds for most CRC pastors and their spouses in Canada to join in and participate in those trips. Certainly glad we're not scheduled to go there right now. (coughs) But when we were there, we were often told that our itinerary today may change because this land is always under threat. A little unnerving to see the armaments and people, soldiers, walking around with guns everywhere in Israel, but they need to because of what happened two weeks ago. They let their guard down. The enemy pounced. It's constant in that part of the world. And while we were there, or prior even to going, we were challenged to learn the Shema in both Hebrew and English. My Hebrew is pretty rusty, so I'm not even going to attempt it. Because every morning and evening, we gathered to recite it together. And sometimes while we were visiting someplace during the day, Reverend DeYoung would call us all together and say, Who will say Shema with me? And we'd say it again. Forty people, loudly, in a group, reciting Shema. I'm sure all the Jews that were around when we were in Israel were saying, Oh, oh I, I know those words. And that reminds us of what a believer anchors one's life to and what we stand firm on in a world that is so full of chaos and trouble. Heartfeltedly, we're declaring that loving God, serving God, obeying God as we follow Jesus, that's what living as a child of God is all about. And something we've got to know about the meaning of that word Shema is that it is not in any way, shape, or form coercive. Like the word in English, obey, can be. You know, sometimes we give the obey or else. It's a little coercive. Shema doesn't mean that at all. Shema declares that when God says something, we hear. We hear what He says with wide open ears, with minds that are receptive to what He's saying, and our hearts. And, and, and we take it in. We, we embrace it as truth for living well. And then we respond by following His will and ways. And that's always a positive obedience. It's the kind of obedience that we know is good and right because, because it comes from God who is good and right. And it brings blessings upon us, our families and our communities when we live in it. You see, that's what God does. He, he has made it so that through His people, His church and we are obedient and faithful, God's blessings flow through us and places like here in Athens, CRC, out to bless our communities. Now let's go to John 10, where Jesus teaches something about this using a pretty dramatic metaphor where he identifies himself as the Good Shepherd. And the people who belong to him as sheep. Anybody here raise sheep? I know you got cattle. Cattle are different than sheep. Sheep are an interesting animal. 
When we were in the Middle East, we saw huge flocks of sheep. And you, you could see this story Jesus is telling right in their evidence. The shepherd walking or riding his donkey out in front of the flock. And the flock will go everywhere the shepherd goes. Like we sang in the song, if the shepherd goes right, they went right. If the shepherd goes left, they go left. The shepherd says stop, they don't move. Interesting animals. And there's lots of them in the Middle East. And that word picture of sheep and a shepherd works very well for what Jesus was teaching because back in that biblical world, everybody knew that, that a village typically brought all of their sheep into a secure sheepfold where they would be watched over and guarded and kept safe overnight. And early in the morning, the shepherds, they, they would go back out from their homes to that sheep pen and the gatekeeper would open the gate. And each shepherd would then call their own sheep out to take them out to the pasture. Sometimes they had a, a particular word or, or a particular whistle or something like that, but the sheep recognized it. Each of those sheep knew their own shepherd's voice and call. And they would automatically separate from the rest in the sheep pen and they would just follow their shepherd out to wherever he was taking them. And what this teaches about living under the principle of Shema, obedience, requires us today to pay particular attention to what Jesus says in verses 3, 4, and 16. Verse 3 says that when the shepherd arrives at the sheep pen, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen. They're already got their ears perked up. Morning's coming. The sky is getting light in the east. The sheep know the shepherd will be coming. Their ears are picked up. They're listening. And then they hear his voice. And they don't just hear his voice. They're really listening for his call. And then verse 4 adds, And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. And this word for know is, is an intimate kind of knowing. An absolute kind of knowing. They know his voice. They hear. They listen. They know his voice and they follow because they pay attention and they have learned that their shepherd is good and he will lead them into, as Psalm 23 says, green pastures and by quiet waters. And that's a picture of living well, good living. We all desire to, to in a way, live in the green pastures by quiet waters where life is peaceful and serene and, and we feel blessed. Now, in this initial part of his teaching, these sheep Jesus is talking to are the Jewish people who believe, his disciples, people who are following him. But when we must notice the most remarkable thing that Jesus adds in verse 16, where he says, I have other sheep, not of this sheep pen. And I can imagine when he said that to the Jewish people that were around there going, what? But we're the chosen people. Who is he talking about? Who are these other sheep? And Jesus says, I must bring them also. You see what Jesus is doing? He's preparing the ground for the mission of the church, the expansion to the other sheep who are all over the world. And Jesus then says, they too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. And these sheep are, are all the people who are not of the Jewish Israelite people, people just like us. And what brings us all together is the voice. The voice of the Good Shepherd. Which, if you think about it, is another way of describing the Word of the Lord. God's Word. He speaks to us. We need to listen. 
It's the voice and the message that it brings that unites us as that one flock under one shepherd. So, in the imagery of this good shepherd metaphor, we learn that to be holy means hearing his voice, knowing his voice, listening to his voice, and responding together by following him as he leads us out into this world. And as we follow gratefully because we understand and embrace the fact that he really did lay down his life for us at the cross of Calvary in order to bring us into his flock where we all live eternally safe and secure in the blessings of our salvation. That doesn't mean we won't have trouble in this life. We know we will. Jesus even says, you will have trouble in this life. But eternally, we are safe and secure in what we have already received from Jesus. But people of God, to know His voice well requires us to focus on learning and listening to Him as He leads us. So under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we prayerfully and often open up our Bibles, the Word of the Lord. And we read and we reflect and we ponder and we study at home and in Sunday worship, hearing, listening, and learning to love His voice and everything that He says so that we obediently can follow Him. Like sheep who are following their good shepherd. Trusting that then we will always be living on those right paths where we discover living obediently under that principle of Shema, obedience, is the way to more fully and smoothly experience all of the adventures of life as God lays them out for us. So, in conclusion, living obediently is a blessed, wonderful gift of God's grace that guides us into living our lives well to the praise and the glory of our blessed Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, who is our Good Shepherd, who calls us to follow Him. Let us pray. Lord, thank You for that picture that Jesus gives us in John 10 of, of the Good Shepherd. Not just any shepherd, but the Good Shepherd. The Bible teaches us that You are good, and You are righteous, and You are holy, and we as Your people who are saved in You Well, we receive the benefits of that. We are your holy people. We are a holy nation, part of that one flock that you have created around this world who belong to you. Help us to always keep our ears attentive to your voice and to what you say to us so that we will be able to obediently follow you. To help us to shut out the clamor of the world and all those other voices that are calling for our attention. Help us, Lord, to hear you clearly through it all so that when we can hear your voice, we will be able to live as your obedient people. Bless us in this, Lord, we pray, in our communities and in this world, as we follow Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.